Welcome to The Theater, the podcast of the Royal College of Surgeons of England. The Theater is an ongoing conversation on surgery and surgical training, featuring practitioners from around the world in discussions ranging from learning and professional development to advances in technology and technique. In this episode, colorectal consultant Trish Borman and registrar Narashni Rajaratnam discuss the nature of positive influence in surgery in terms of both the people that have influenced them in the past as well as being a positive influence upon those just starting their careers. Trish Borman. I'm a consultant colorectal surgeon uh, currently working in Exeter. Um, I've been um, appointed as clinical lead for the Emerging Leaders Programme at the Royal College of Surgeons. Um, I've been asked if I would uh, record a podcast um, basically around positive influences um, and how I've been affected by such things and I decided that I'd ask one of my trainees to join me so we could have a chat about it. So I've got Nero with me who's going to introduce herself now. Hi everyone, my name's Narashini Rajaretnam. Um, I'm currently in ST7 here in the Royal Devon in Exeter working with Nintula. Um, I'm currently on an, on an OOP-R, so that's an out of programming research doing my MD here. Um, and I'm also the ex-vice president of ASSET, which is the Associations of Surgeon in Training, as well as the current abdominal rep for Duke's Club, which is the trainee arm of our colorectal subspecialty association. Hi, and <laughs> um, thanks, for, thanks for joining me and, and, and coming along. Um, we've been talking a bit about positive influences, and I think when we've worked together, we've discussed things in the past and uh, we were we were talking about certainly how things have changed and what positive influences there were perhaps for me coming through in my career versus you now differences similarities um, I was saying that when I first became a registrar uh, I really hadn't met a female consultant surgeon uh, and it wasn't until I was in my third year that I actually worked for a female colorectal surgeon. And it was a huge revelation to me that actually, yes, this could be the norm. I could do this. This was, you know, possible for me. After that, I didn't work for another female consultant. Um, but I'd at least had a taste of what could be seen as the normal. And so it became more normal for me. And it was a very positive experience. I think um, now there are more of us. But as we said earlier, despite the fact that uh, WINS was, was launched by Avril, who was probably a positive influence on all of us, um, 30 years ago, we've only gone from 3 to 13% of the consultant population. And it's hard to quite understand why when we both agreed it was such a great career, didn't we? Absolutely. Um, I think just watching how things have changed over the last 30 years, I think it's it's such a monumental society, you know, a group of very strong-minded, strong-willed women sort of paving the way for trainees coming through in the future. I mean, I do feel sad at times that we need such an organisation to be able 
to sort of get through surgery. Um, but I think the outputs that WINS has provided female trainees, it's definitely making things easier um, to grasp opportunities and also, you know, voicing ourselves in what used to be a boys club. Absolutely. And I think a lot of the time, as we discussed, you know, still feels like a boys club. You know, I'm still remain the only female consultant colorectal surgeon here. Um, it's lovely and, it, you know, it's positive that within other areas of surgery within the hospital we have more females but it would be very nice to have a female colleague and to bring that balance back and to make it more normal for, for you guys coming through you know um, I think what's lovely for me is that uh, I, I take it as a really positive thing that we are seeing more female trainees and as we talked about earlier you know to me what I find just amazing and, and I take away really positive is that, you know, several of the trainees like yourself are also from BAME groups and, you know, and are absolutely rocking it. You know, it's fantastic. And, and you know, I think that is really positive. Um, and I'm very proud of you. Can you uh, remember what first inspired you to become a surgeon? What made it worth the fight? Well, I actually decided I wanted to be a surgeon when I was eight years old. So I was probably not the most typical of children. Um, I just remember being at school and I used to love my science lessons. And obviously at that age, you're first learning about the heart and the lungs as a pump. And I just remembered uh, distinctly that it was parents' evening one night. My mum went and I think my science teacher told her that I was very good at science and I had a passion for the human body. Um, and I think she was the first one that sort of popped the idea into my head. And then actually I thought, hang on a second, I want to help people, but I want to help people with my hands. I want to have a direct impact on their well-being, but I want to incorporate science into it. And I know how cliche that must sound, but I think that was my motivator to help people. But I to do something that I was good at. And, you know, I was fascinated by the body and the whole point of it was that I could fix someone directly. And that was my motivator, I think. Yeah. And since then, I've just I've been fortunate enough to to succeed in it. Thanks, obviously, to great mentors, the hard work my parents have put in, great friends. I'm, I'm here somehow through hard work and it's it's been an amazing ride. So and far. do you not think that you're a positive influence on some of the more junior trainees? I try to be. Um, I think going through training, it can be very lonely and it can be a struggle at times, whether you're male, female, young, old, you know, having children or not. I think surgical training, it, it adds a different sort of stress on your life compared to, say, other industries that, that may um, have similar workforces. And I think... The most important thing that we shouldn't lose is the fact that we work as a team and we need to look after each other. Mm. We've seen through the pandemic how easy it is to burn out. And I think that's the one thing that no matter what happens with the NHS, we are all in it together. And that's why I like to look after my juniors, because one day they'll be looking after us. Yeah. Yeah. And we were talking, weren't we, earlier about the positive influences that affect us and not not just medics, are they? No. You know, we see some amazing um, leadership and, and, and support given by nursing staff, by managers, Absolutely. by, you know, 
all from all departments yeah. and and very much i think the pandemic perhaps brought us together even more i mean there were some moments when it probably pushed us apart and there were frayed tempers and we were all weary but actually there was a real feeling of camaraderie and a real positivity about we would get through this together yeah. um and and i think you know that is that that's been that's been one of the positives I take out of the pandemic is that you know we're still here we're still fighting we're up against it probably more than ever right now um, but but we're in it together absolutely and, uh, and that that that's been amazing um, I think one word that's always been thrown about over the past two years is the word resilience and it may have been overused depending on the context you use it but actually it really does sort of describe what we've had to face in, at work and with our patients and with the public and it has made us resilient by you know by force yes yes uh, uh, yeah absolutely um yeah and i think you know in terms of of leadership and and going forward you know it, it it's for both of us i think we we do need to see women that we can relate to doing the things you know, within the college, um, you know, Dame Claire Marks, to me, was an extraordinary positive influence to be the first female president of the college and to be just, you know, so inspiring and uh, and so, so, so commanding in a calm but feminine way. And that, to me, is also really quite important because I think in a certain certain way, when I was coming through, it was... If you were going to be a female in surgery, you had to be a certain way, and that wasn't necessarily feminine. And I think that's wrong. And I think that you know that very difference about us, you know, and difference from our cultures and all of that is why it you know it brings so much more to the table and builds in that team structure. Absolutely, we need to sort of break the stereotype that you have to be a bulldog um, at work just to prove yourself. We're just as capable as our male counterparts. Um, we all do the same job. And actually, I think over the last few years, even though more women are, are coming into surgery because more opportunities are available, you know, we have less than full-time training, we have more awareness about home life and, you know, things with our, our partners, etc. I think one, one of the greatest benefits is actually our, our male colleagues. They've got more insight into what we've been through in our previous generations and actually they're so supportive now i you know we have some great male consultants who are willing to fight and help us in our battles. absolutely i think that's that that is true and it's it's great it, and i think that's been one of the things that has really improved over recent years so you know i'm one of the older consultants here as you know quite a few of my consultant colleagues have been my trainees um, and as I said you know uh, they're really supportive but they they actually say to me we should have another girl in the department so you've got another girl as a consultant colleague they you know they can see that it is helpful to have that mix that diversity within the department yeah. um, and 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 would be supportive of, of uh, you know appointing a female consultant colleague uh, it's just the right time right place right person really I'm putting my name uh, in no, right absolutely now. <laughs> absolutely um 
so yeah I, you know I think that's we've come forward but we just need to keep going yeah. and I think to try and get more women into the college than there currently are more women on council uh, more visible women really so that it just does become the norm yeah and the other thing we were we were talking about we we discussed was really about um how we turn what we see as negative influences into positive influences and and we've discussed some behaviors that we feel are inappropriate but actually as long as you can identify them as not good practices not ways to behave not helpful to the team not helpful to benefiting the patients then actually you can turn that negative into a positive Absolutely. i think so i think uh, most recently especially just pre-pandemic we've seen uh, an increase in awareness amongst the BAME members um, of the surgical societies and basically promotion of equality and diversity amongst all surgical members in all fields actually within medicine and I think this is a very positive step forward but at the same time I, I do worry that perhaps some positions will just focus on a member ticking certain aspects regarding their gender, their, their ethnicity, just to f fulfill certain criteria to say, yes, we're inclusive of all walks of life, rather than actually representing a person's ability to fulfill that role. Yeah, I, I, and I completely understand what, what you're saying and agree with you. And I think, you know, there, for me personally, um, I have definitely felt that was I appointed to the SAC, was I, you know, appointed to the Court of Examiners just because they needed to tick a box to say they had more females. Um, and that real feeling of, do I really deserve this? But then, you know, actually that comes back to this sort of imposter syndrome that we you know i think as women we do we do suffer from but i actually have learned over the years that it's not just us that suffer that um you know our male counterparts that have imposter syndrome too and i think you know certainly the way i've learned to kind of deal with that feeling is to push it you know push that away and say okay and even if i was so what? I'm going to prove myself. I'm going to do a great job so that actually I I fit this role and then I'm in this role and it will be just not an, a, another box that needs ticking for the next girl or the next, you know, because once, unless we drive forward and we fight against that feeling and we prove that we can do the job and we're seen in the job, it will never become the norm to have yeah. that diverse uh, you know, population within 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 surgery and within other medical specialities. So I think it's hard, but you know, I I think it's easy to feel that way. But I don't think we're actually justified in necessarily feeling no. that way. And I think that's the crux of it. I think regardless of whether of what ethnicity you are, what gender you are, what sexuality you are. The fact is you're going to do it you're there to fulfill a role 
you're going to work your hardest, no matter what, in whatever position, whether you're looking after patients, whether you're in management, whether you're taking up a committee position, you're always going to work your hardest to make sure that you don't let anyone else down, you don't let yourself down, but also for the greater good. Otherwise, there's no point in doing what we do. And I think whatever we decide to do, it should look past our own sort of our own personal um, attributes because at the end of the day on paper what's going to get the job done it's not going to be where we're from or you know who our partners are it's going to be what work we do and we're all on the same page on that, on that yeah absolutely and I and I think you know um, it's not true that you know those appointments are made what what we're actually seeing evolving is the awareness that and if you like, the acceptance by that uh, original archetypal surgeon that actually everyone out there, no matter background, race, sexuality, you know, no matter, is actually capable of doing these jobs. And, and it's, it's for them to see through that. And then once, once we get into a position with more, more visible, diverse it will just become the norm and, and and how fantastic will that be i mean it should have been the norm say 50 60 years ago so the fact that we're only really playing catch up now is again slightly disappointing but i'm 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 thrilled though that finally it's all becoming transparent it, there's more equality amongst the workforce and there are more opportunities for everyone rather than just mm. being the, the stereotypical middle class white gentleman that's gone through you know medical school and made it to where they are for for those reasons absolutely yeah no and 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 long may you know go on improving and and i think we also you know we're quite privileged in the fact that we're we're able to be involved in in you know in the progression of that so that you know maybe in 30 years time it'll be 50 50 who knows absolutely i mean it will be the norm i think I think we need to look forward to the day that actually we don't even need to think about these things. It, it won't it'll just be a memory. We'll all just be on the same page no matter what. It won't be an issue anymore. I think that's that's true. And I think, you know, um, WINS has been fantastic and it's very positive. And I think, you know, the, the recent WINS conference was just brilliant and, you know, so enjoyable. And, you know, there were some really inspiring women there. But one day maybe... Wins won't be called wins because it'll just be part of the Royal College of Surgeons. It'll just be the Royal College of Surgeons, and it just so happens, um, you know, and, and and truly be, you know, a diverse group of people. Absolutely, so. I think it's important to get sort of the right leadership at the right time. So obviously, I've had some fantastic mentors along the way, um, including yourself, Ian Daniels, Neil Smart, but also. Wins advocates such as Farah Batty, Stella Vig. I think having such influential people sort of nurture you from the beginning, from ground up, I think that's what is most important because then you take the positives and the, the ethos forward to your trainees as you go through and then hopefully we build a culture. Absolutely. Well, you know, I love that. I do love that wins lift as you climb. I yeah. think, you know, that is absolutely so true. And and the positive influences that I've had in my life uh, in terms of mentors and so on, you know, I hope to take that 
down to the next level to be a positive influence to somebody else and and you know it is amazing when trainees come back or you know you get contacted and they say I actually did this because of you and you know you think whoa that is amazing and it's a very positive influence back on you as well it sort of reflects both ways I think Um, it speaks volumes that you can have such a profound impact on someone's life on their career that they say you know what you're the one that Mm. has caused me to be where I am I think that's that that's amazing yeah no I mean uh, it makes you feel quite privileged doesn't it makes Mm. you feel sort of you know wow uh, to have that power absolutely and you know um, and to make sure, and, and that's a huge, quite a huge responsibility because you need to make sure then that the influences you do have are only positive. Yes. And not allow yourself to slip into those negative behaviours that you see around you. And I, it's, I, I do think it's quite disappointing when, you know, I've seen some behaviour which actually has been a, from a consultant that that's that was a, one of my trainees, or you know, not a co-director, but but within the you know as a training program director, and see them behave badly because they're not getting the clinic room they want is astonishing to me, <laughs> just astonishing. And you know, you think, how can I turn this into a positive influence? Um, and the only way at the time I could see of doing that was saying to the nursing staff. Put me in any room you like <laughs> and support them because Absolutely. you know they need to see that not everyone behaves that way. I think it's important to maintain that mindset because obviously with the job that you do, it's very easy to get so stressed or so pigeonholed and you know sort of focus into one task or the immediate environment that you're in. So to be open-minded and actually take yourself out of the situation and and turn you know a potentially stressful or a negative situation and find the positive aspects of that I think that is a skill that actually we we could all learn and we probably don't utilize that as much as we should given the stressful environments that we work through yeah I was trying to think whether there's any positive influences that I bring into this world from outside medicine I think Knowing you personally, I think your dedication to your fitness <laughs> is definitely, definitely yes. up there. Well, I being. think absolutely. I've learned from people from all sorts of other walks of life through fitness, um, you know, about resilience, um, about mental health, um, and, and, and a, you know, a, a very, uh, somehow when you're, uh, exercising with a group of people it takes away it really levels the playing field when you're just all sweaty and nobody there's no hierarchy there's no you know no one's better than anybody else um and it, and it, uh, you know i think that's a real team spirit as well and it's, and it, that's had a very positive effect on me yes definitely i think you've you've hit the nail there on sort of dissolving hierarchy because i think we've been trying to do that for quite a few years in the NHS and obviously there are probably places that still very much adhere to the principle of hierarchy um, and perhaps obviously with firm structures no longer in place it can be difficult for juniors to approach their seniors and have that direct communication um, but I think actually the way that things are going in terms of mentorship such as from the WINS program and you know more open-minded and, and younger trainees coming through 
hopefully we are still we are dissolving that but yet maintaining the level of respect that that there should be yeah there's a balance isn't there i think you know there needs to be a certain level of of hierarchy yeah. and the buck stops at the consultant level yeah but um but it's really important to keep that in control that in as much as those that are the most junior members of the team or the most junior nursing staff in your theatre or whatever, that they're not frightened to speak up Absolutely. and speak out and to say if something doesn't feel right, if something isn't right, because chances are they've got something really important to say that might actually benefit the patient. Um, so, you know, yes, I, I think that that's, that's very true. Um, and, and it's something that I'm, I'm very aware of. I, I try to make sure that, you know, the, the new F1s, they know that they can speak out, they can come and get help, they can call. Um, they don't have to feel that just because they are an, an F1, they are only an F1 because it's not only an F1 at all. It's only an F1 in terms of you might need that bit of support. Absolutely. And it's perfectly fine to have that. I think the, the mentorship role there is very important. Um, especially the junior doctors with F1s, F2s, actually at any level, even perhaps if you're an SAS grade coming through, um, I think mentorship and having someone who you can openly talk to in a safe environment and not feel judged, I think that yeah, is... Absolutely. And with the Emerging Leaders Programme, we're really hoping to build up an alumnus uh, that will, you know, propagate a bit like WINS, but an, another supportive network where, you know, it may not be actually necessarily medically based, but you need some support about some leadership role or something else that, you, you know, you feel a bit tentative about going for, that you've got a network of support, you know, where, you, you, you know, and hopefully as people come off the end of it and they start achieving, it'll almost be, you know, these are the leadership roles that all these people have actually achieved after doing this program, you know, and, and that will inspire women to say, actually, I'll do this program because, do you know what, somewhere in the back of my head, I kind of think it might be nice to be involved in, in, in the college in some way. You know, I think I could give something to the college because there is an element of that that we I think we, we forget or we've spent so many years not being seen to be there that we forget that actually we've got so much to give you know um and and you know it it really comes through i think when you do see the shift in the council and i think um certainly for me when i went on the emerging leaders i was stunned when we were actually able to go along and witness a council meeting and it wasn't what i'd imagined it at all and i'm sure it's very different to the way it used to be oh, yeah. and I, I, it was it, there was still a level of respect. There was still, you know, it wasn't a, a, it wasn't a free for all by any terms. But there was no sense that any of the council members, from whatever background, couldn't speak up. That their their opinion wasn't valued. You know, it was it it was it was great. And then, you know, some of the other committees that I don't think we even really come onto the radar very much if you're you know where we are in southwest England um, and the phenomenal work they do and uh, it's very impressive actually. I think you're right and I think with the Emerging Leaders program not only does it give trainees structure which is something that perhaps can be hit and miss in our training but also it gives you confidence and like you say a lot of us do suffer from imposter syndrome 
And I think building your confidence and learning a skill which you would otherwise just pick up on the job through experience, but having now a formalised programme to develop those skills and give you the confidence, I think that is definitely something that can influence trainees' careers. And we need more women in leadership. You know, there are so many roles within the hospital and outside the hospital that potentially could do with a, a you know, a strong female voice mm. to take the reins. Absolutely, yeah. No, uh, most definitely. Um, and certainly, you know, the, the Emerging Leaders Programme is, is designed for that. Because as you say, I think um, there are some leadership things you can do but but it's lacking a bit in training I think and that building the confidence during the training years is 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 just so important and that could really change things I think that could really lead to a drive towards women stepping up to the roles because it's interesting you see you know you say you're you're imposter syndrome etc yet look at what you've achieved and I, I you know and therefore some of the more junior trainees will be looking at you going, oh, you know, yeah, but she was vice president of ASSET and she's this, that and the other. And that's really positive, you know, really positive for them. So I see, I think the way you, the way I think about it, I still suffer from imposter syndrome. No, yes, I think we all do. I just, um, I think, I think it's, it's odd that we go through this. And obviously I know that it's not selective to women. I know that men also go through this. I'm not quite sure why we we as a cohort in medicine suffer this so much compared to other industries, perhaps. I think medicine is definitely a steep learning curve. So despite any achievements that we have in our career, I think having imposter syndrome is, is something that's very difficult to sort of chip away at. So that's probably one of the other benefits of doing the Emerging Leaders program is to try and prevent it from sort of festering and building that confidence early on so that you do believe in yourself more and that Mm. you can actually influence others in the same way and I think it's all tied in together because I've I've done a lot of soul searching about imposter syndrome and I have to say you know I've done a lot of research into it you know because I felt that it was a failing in myself that I was feeling that Mm. way if you like um but actually I think I've come down on the side that I think there's a chicken and egg situation here. And I think that, you know, the way I was treated, not by everybody, but by certain trainers in my training, um, you know, made me feel like I was an imposter. So it's, you know, did I always start out feeling an imposter? No, I don't think I did. But the seed gets sown. And, you know, I had trainers who said to me, well, you know, you're a girl, you know, you're not going to make it in surgery. You know, how about radiology? You know, I, you know, things like that just make my skin crawl now. Yeah. And then, you know, but the more we can break down those barriers, the more we can progress and get it as the norm, women will stop feeling like that. Absolutely. It's funny you said that because actually I had the same thing. I remember as a junior doctor, Whenever I said, oh, I want to be a surgeon, they'd be like, are you sure? Do you want to consider something else? Or perhaps, you know, it's quite competitive to get into surgery or, you know, are you able to have a family and be a surgeon? These are things that we have to think about. But actually, we've seen so many female rock stars have families, you know, are professional athletes, whatever, 
and they're still doing amazingly well in their career, I don't think there's anything that can stop a person from reaching their full potential. No, and I think, you know, now, I mean, let's face it, uh, it helps that, that, you know, maternity leave is, is not just for women, that, yes. that you've got paternity leave as well. And it, I think that actually get, gets a bit of understanding and it's, it's, it's sort of broadened it a bit um, because, you know, I think, I think it was, I think it's still tough if you have children, very tough. I've watched some of my colleagues here, but it's, it's doable and there is much more support for it now much much more support um and and it definitely should not be a hurdle you know it shouldn't be something that stops you becoming a surgeon no absolutely not i think more can be done um for example you know you shouldn't have to you should have amenities at work for breastfeeding if that's you know if that's your position you shouldn't have to cower away or adjust your own lifestyle just because you're performing a humanly act you know so i think again coming back to the fact that we've sort of shown more light on the topic now more men are fighting our rights for us and you know encouraging us to do this and i think as soon as you know the governing bodies and the hospital the nhs in general accept this i think it'll be a much easier workforce to be a part of well i mean yeah and it's <laughs> it's going to save them money isn't it because you know let's face it we all know or i certainly know of um other trainees that in my peer group who just decided actually you know what I'll go and do something else and it's such a waste and waste of huge talent that we need in surgery um I mean whenever we know we're going to operate on a patient to obviously make them feel better or you know see patients in clinical just have any interaction knowing that you're there to have a positive impact on their health and ultimately their well-being you know that's why we're all here forget everything else forget all the politics behind the scenes or you know whatever's going on in the media we come to work we enjoy what we do because it's such a positive effect that we have yeah and i mean that's it isn't it what's the probably the biggest influence that's a positive thing for me is that patient that you know you've operated on that goes home and then comes back into your clinic looking amazing six weeks later that's the best positive influence on what we do and that's why we do it absolutely you can't beat that feeling thank you everybody for for listening i hope it's been of some interest um i'd like to encourage any women out there who would be at all interested to um, apply for the emerging leaders program it's fantastic it's going to be offering you uh, two years of, of supported environment to grow and learn um and 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 when i did it it was a fantastic experience and i think it's going to be even better now and for all the trainees that are coming through, there are so many resources available to you and so many organisations that you could be a part of that will help you through your training and help you tackle any issues that you might be facing, such as the Association of Surgeons in Training or even the subspecialty associations such as Duke's Club or the Rue Club. There are so many. So if you want any further information, there's plenty on the Royal College of England website as well as um, the trainee organisation website. Thanks very much. Thanks, Nira, for helping me out. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening. Applications for the Emerging Leaders Programme will reopen in autumn 2022. 
please visit the college's website for more information on the application process. Don't forget to subscribe to the theater wherever you get your podcasts for future episodes. For the latest information and updates from the college, please follow us on social media.